Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. All right, we're back. Game five, first inning, episode one, 2023 season. Just really excited to be back on the airwaves um, and bring you these episodes. Okay, so episode one here takes us all the way to Eau Claire. Um, Division four state champion, uh, Andy Neese. Okay, now Coach Neese goes into his background, where he grew up, uh, his time at Regis as a student, what brought him back, um, and, and you know his role within the WBCA, some of the changes that are happening, but really wanted to focus on this 2022 state championship season. They went back-to-back in regards to Appleton appearances and were able to, to, to finish it off this year and, and just love hearing the stories and the journey of a season um, and just so grateful for him uh, taking the time to sit down with us today. On a personal note, 2023 is my 20th year coaching high school baseball. And, you know, when I say that out loud, man, it, I got the gray hairs, the wrinkles to show it. But uh, I've loved every minute. Well, not every minute, but, you know, most minutes of it. Okay. And I think you coaches know what I'm talking about. But, again, as we look ahead to the clinic, as we get ready for the season ahead, just can't wait to dig back in these episodes and hear from these phenomenal coaches. So, without further ado, head baseball coach and 2022 Division Four state champ at Eau Claire Regis High School, Andy Neese. Hey, Coach, how you doing today? Good. How are you, Tim? Great. Hey, thanks for jumping on with us. Um, just want to get going. Like, give us your background. Where are you from? How'd you grow up? Um, you know, what's your playing background and coaching background? Yeah, so I don't think a lot of people know. I'm actually a native of Albany, New York. Uh, I was born there in 1974. Uh, moved to Eau Claire in summer of 86. My dad got a job with the county of Eau Claire and moved the family out here. Uh, but my original roots, you could say, go back to the eastern part of New York State. And then we came out here. I went to school in the Regis school system, um, played four years of baseball in high school um, and played in the club team, UW-Eau Claire. Um, and then I, I'm still I still play baseball. I still play at the men's level, at town ball level uh, during the summer. Um, I run a men's league called the Chipper River Baseball League. I play for a team called the Eau Claire Rivermen. Um, so that's kind of the, you could say, a, a brief summary of my baseball life. But, yeah, it goes goes back to the eastern part of New York State. All right, I love that you're still playing. And I, I want to ask, I want to dig in about your playing career a little bit. Like, what kind of player were you or are you? And how does that, like, affect you as a coach? Yeah, so I my my players, the guys that I, I coach in high school, some of them have gone on to become my teammates after high school. And uh, they've commented on that, the difference between me as a coach and a player. As a player, um, I'm, I'm a little more emotional as a player than I am as a coach. Um, and, and as a player, I'm, I can be really, really hard on myself at times. And I've gotten better about that as I've gotten older. I'm, I'm 48 now. Um, as a coach, certainly as I've gotten older, um, I'm, I, I'm more understanding of when my players make mistakes than I am of myself when I make a mistake. Um, so it's, you know, it's funny. It's like I, I'm self-aware enough to know that when I'm playing, the way I act sometimes is the way I tell my players not to act. And and I know that. And uh, I was like, times like, God, what are you doing? And I think to myself, why are you acting this way? But, you know, it's just you, you play and the adrenaline gets going and sometimes it's hard to, hard to rein that in. That's incredible. I, um, I'm thinking about you know, like when you're still playing, you know, the, the, there's you still playing in the summers keep you sharp as a coach. You know, the situations that you think you see because you still play that maybe other coaches don't or you anticipate things on the bases that maybe you use in the third base coaching box. You know, I actually I'll, I'll turn it another way. I think coaching is as um, uh, made me a better player. Um, co- coaching, you, you just have to analyze and process at really everything within the game as much as you can. Um, and when I became the head coach in 2008 here at Regis, um, just your level of um, analyzation and observation has to go, it has to increase so much if you really want to be a good coach. And that that helped me as a player. And I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. The, the playing part of it is definitely giving me more empathy as a coach. Um, you know, I, like I, I've played a long time. I've screwed up 
in just about every way possible you can think of on the diamond. And um, I, again, I just have, I, I have a lot more empathy for kids as I've gotten older and played, but I, I think more so in that equation, uh, coaching has made me a better player um, just because I, yeah, I'm just more aware of things. Love that. Let's go into your coaching career. So I, you know, I, you moved, you moved to Wisconsin from New York, you ended up in Eau Claire, you went to Regis, you graduated from there. Like what, what got you into teaching and coaching? Yeah, it was just, it goes back to when I was a kid. I remember being told, um, you know, I'd or, I was the guy who organized the neighborhood pickup games and called kids and got them to show up and divided teams. And I remember being told by the moms of my friends when I was in Little League that I'd, I'd make a good coach and I got older. And um, it was just something, I don't know how else to say it. It was just something inside of me since I was a, just a kid that I, I was motivated by and uh, wanted to do. And, you know, I, I was going into education right away out of high school. At one point, I was going to be a history teacher. Another point, I was going to be an elementary school teacher. But um, about my sophomore year in college, I, I, I decided to settle on FIED because I knew that would give me a little more of an opportunity to really be involved in sports and diversify myself a little bit too, um, not just get so locked into baseball. Um, but, you know, baseball has always been my thing. Um, again, going back forever. Um, so it, it goes way back. I mean, it goes back to just when I was an eight, nine-year-old kid. I, I've never really had any, any other interest other than being a teacher, coach, and being around athletics. So as a college kid, you're, you're going through the process of, you know, getting into education, bouncing around majors, landing on FIED. And then, like, where did you start? Where, you know, what's your first coaching position? You talked about taking over the head job in 2008, but, but prior to that, you know, what steps along the way? Yeah, so I, I was a volunteer assistant here at Regis when I was a sophomore in college. Um, my high school coach, Tony Olson, gave me the opportunity to just come and, and coach when I could around my work schedule and, and uh, uh, playing schedule and school schedule. So my first coaching gig, you could say, was as a volunteer varsity assistant in 1994. Um, the bulk of my duties involved – um, I kept book, I kept stats. I was in the dugout. Um, you know, I was the fresh arm and I'm for batting practice. I always threw batting practice, um, which was good. I mean, I, I helped my arm, um, stay healthy and stay in shape. Uh, but yeah, it, it goes back to 1994 as, as a volunteer varsity assistant. And I, I didn't get my, you could call my first head coaching job, um, that until 1998, I was the freshman coach at Chippewa Falls High School, Chai High, as it's known around here. So I was there in 1998, 99, actually freshman, sophomore coach. And then in 2000, um, I went to Eau Claire North and was the freshman coach there. And then in 01, I came back to Regis uh, and became the head JV coach in 01. Um, and then I stayed in the Regis baseball program until 08 when I got the head coaching job. So quite a journey. I mean, again, a lot of lessons learned along the way, still playing, obviously coaching for decades and decades. You know, it's kind of the old sports talk radio question. When you think about the people who have influenced you the most in your life or in baseball, that, that kind of Mount Rushmore, who are maybe three or four people that stand out to you? And what what attributes, what lessons did you learn from them? Yeah, so there's, there's, a, uh, there's a handful of people that come to mind. Uh, one of them, you know, I don't even I don't even remember his first name is Coach Tarpinian, my my little league coach when I was in Albany, New York. He was re really the first guy uh, that I just remember being a good baseball guy and encouraging me to play and and complimenting me. And um, he, he's just always the one of the faces that is that is in my head when I think of you know the guys that influenced me um, on my baseball journey. And then going to high school. I mentioned him earlier. Tony Olson uh, was my head coach my senior year. That's when he he got the job. Um, and you know, things I learned from him is is just uh, I still recall you know, just how enthusiastic he was, um, how he could connect to players. Um, you know, his, his X and O his X's and O's were good looking back on it, but it was just his personality and, and how he connected with guys and, and just the, his mannerisms and his, his attitude. Um, 
Mark Fonis is, is Legion coach here, uh, very well known in this area. He's still coaching Legion. I played for him in 1992. And what I got from him is just um, how all he really exposed me to a larger world of baseball. I remember going to Fargo, uh, North Dakota, playing in a big tournament in the Twin Cities, um, and, and just really started, started understanding that there's a, a much fast, a much bigger, uh, broader world of baseball out there. And he was the first guy who really kind of exposed me to that. And he was also, too, he was another person who encouraged me to go into coaching. I, I remember that from him. Um, Mark McCorney, he was my predecessor here at Regis. He was the head coach at Regis from uh, 1996 to 2007. And um, administratively, he, he was awesome. Um, and I, I don't think young coaches, and this is a menace of criticism, that they don't understand the administrative stuff that you have to do when you're a head coach. Hey, it's going to be cool. I'll show up. We'll win games. I'll, I'll, I'll teach this kid how to spin a curveball. I'll, I'll teach this kid how to hit to the opposite field. Well, yeah, man, but you, you got background checks, um, fingerprints, um, you got to submit stats. You got to update this website, that platform, um, budgeting, financing, booster club, parents, everything. And Mark was the guy that um, watching him, I mean, he, he was he was awesome at it. And, and that's what that that's the big thing I, I got from him. It was just uh, um, in some ways, the administrative duties are, are more so than than what you do on the diamond. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I, a lot of young guys, a lot of coaches, you know, again, they think they can shock the world and they, they learn something new that's going to make you win a state championship or send this kid D1 and then all of a sudden it pours rain for three days and you got a gym schedule and then the bus and the trainer and then this really? guy and that guy. And it's almost like the you need like a director of baseball operations, but that those things have to get done immediately. And yeah. it, it's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and it buries, I think a lot of coaches after I, I think, well, again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get my soapbox, but that's one reason why the turnover in coaching is so steep. In my opinion, you're lucky if you get guys doing it for four or five years and that's part of it, just the administrative stuff is so thick uh, and it never goes away. You just think, Hey, okay, got it, got it now. But you come back next spring and it's the same stuff you gotta, you gotta be on top of and prioritize and get done. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let's kind of look at um, Regis baseball. You know, before I get to your season last year and the success you've had as a coach, just give us that flyover view of, you know, what is Regis baseball? How many kids go out for the program? Do you have two teams, two or three teams? You know, talk to us about what does life inside Regis baseball look like? Yeah, in a really typical year for us, we have uh, 24 kids out is pretty standard. Uh, we have two teams, varsity level, JD level. Uh, during my time in the program, going back to 1994, there's been two random years where our numbers were up around 30, where we had a freshman team. Uh, but no, mo most years it, it's two teams, two levels, JV varsity, about 24 kids, give or take. Uh, we do not cut, um, you know, the splits and we're both playing on, an, on the same day, uh, game day. Um, it, it, so much of that depends on who's pitching, but usually we have about, uh, 12, 12, sometimes we'll go, you know, 14, 10 at the different levels. Just to, again, depends on what, what our pitching needs are. Yeah. It's so interesting. I love talking to, to all coaches across the state. Cause you know, you talk to some coaches at a huge high school. I talked to a coach last year at 122 kids signed up for baseball and uh, you know, they have to take, have to do tryouts for weeks, what seems like, and then they got two or three freshman teams. But then I look at you guys and other schools of your size. And again, 24 kids, you know, your day one of tryouts probably looks so differently than, you know, a huge division one school. So like kind of fast forward, what does that first day of tryouts look like for you guys? How do you structure it? Is it more of a drill and skill? Is it right into install because you're not, um, you know, cutting anybody? Do you try to inner squad? Like what take us into those first couple of days of, of the first few days of baseball? Yeah, the bulk of our first few days are, are I'll just say, reestablishing, establishing routines, procedures, our practice layout, practice order, what our warm-up warm up routine is, our, our uh, throwing progression, which is like a lot of, I think, any good program, you're, you're going to emphasize playing catch. And we put a heavy emphasis on that within the first week. 
Um, establishing our hitting chain or our, our hitting rotation that we have in the, in the gym because where we are beginning of the year. Um, certainly we, certainly we go over expectations, uh, program rules, um, you know, usually within that first week as well, we, we try to take care of, you know, use that phrase again, the administrative stuff, paperwork. Um, you know, we start talking to kids about uniforms, apparel, what they need. Uh, so it's kind of a, you, you could say a, a quick checklist of, of, um, established items that, that the kids know. I mean, I, I've been here long enough. Um, you know, the upper class and know the drill, but those first two days, just in terms of, you know, what, what we're doing in the trenches, it, it's establishing our routines, warm up, throwing progression, um, our, our hitting arrangement, hitting chain. And then just also the, the, <laughs> we're near a gym, the, the spacing, the safety that you have to be paranoid about. So nobody gets smoked in the face. Um, just making sure that it's like, Oh, guys, stop. You're, you're, you're cross firing here. Hold on. Look who's behind you next to you. I mean, that that's sounds kind of funny, but it, it's true. Um, so that, that's what we focus on. Yeah, no. And I'm just picturing, you know, so, so many of us just are in a gym for so long and there's a real science to, to practicing well in a gym. And so I'm, I'm, are you guys JV and varsity together? Do you operate kind of as a big group of 24? How do you guys structure that practice? Cause now I think we should, now you got me thinking like nerding out on some practice planning here. So I want to get inside your head. You're talking hitting chain, throwing progression. I want to hear all about it. Yeah. So a lot of that has to do with, with the time we have. So when we're all stuck in the gym in March. We have, we have 75 minutes and just saying that that number makes me anxious in my chest. Um, and I mean, we got to plow through stuff. So usually what we do is I'll have a, a 20 to 30 minute meeting preceding our practice time. And then we, we practice and we usually have about a 10 minute wrap up cleanup meeting afterwards. Um, and then we're also, you know, we're, we're sharing the gym space with all the other spring programs, softball, uh, girls, soccer, track. Um, so there's a, there's a lot. It's a tight time frame. So within that 75 minutes, you know, we, we start with a standard uh, warm up. And once I get them juiced up, I mean, I, I make them sprint, uh, but we do it productively. You know, you're, you're sprinting from a lead off position, primary lead, secondary lead. Um, you're backpedaling, turning glove side. I have the kids lay down as if they just slid into a base feet, feet first and they have to get up and then get to the next bag. Um, I practice uh, tagging up. Uh, shuffle, shuffle, tag, tag, go. Um, so I try to make a game specific with our conditioning. Um, and then we get into our throw progression, which typically involves 11 to 12 steps, ending, of course, with throwing. And then after that, we usually break them up into three groups. Uh, we have a, a bullpen group uh, for the pitchers, uh, defensive area, outfielders, infielders, and then our, our hitting area, hitting chain. Now, the bullpen area – well, like just any small high school, our pitchers are also playing other positions. So um, I, when they're over in the hitting area, make sure, okay, hey, we get to a station, get your live cuts in, then we're going to need you to go to the bullpen, go with our pitching coach. Um, so that that's this basic format. And, man, it's it's over like in 30 seconds. When you got 75 minutes and all that stuff to do, I mean, it does. It, it feels like, bam, it's over. Um, once we get outside, our practices are usually pushing an hour, 45 minutes. So for you, like what position, what do you coach? Like position wise, like, well, you know, when, when those rotations, are you in the cage? Are you in the bullpen? Are you with infielders, outfielders? Like, where do you, where do you get your baseball coaching fix on field? Yeah, it's usually hitting you, you, early in the year. I, I, I'm really fortunate. I have a, a really good, solid group of assistant coaches. So, um, depending on how many we have there, we usually operate with myself and four other assistants. So early in the season, especially the first week or two, um, I explain everything. And then I'm oftentimes I'm roaming. So I, I want to watch, I want to watch everything. I want to watch how the kids act in the stations. I want to watch how they act when nobody's watching them or they think nobody's watching them. Um, uh, but, but when I get into, when I'm actually coaching, yeah, I mean, my, my, my thing is hitting. I, mean, I like to hit and I'm confident in my ability to teach hitting um, and then defensively catching because that's what I've done 
and I still do it. I still catch during the, when I play during the summer and I like it, enjoy it. Um, you know, and, and when I'm not doing those, I, I, because pitching is just such a monumentally important part of the game. I'll also tilt over towards the bullpen at times, just because I want to see what a pitcher look like. Um, so that's, that's my, my, my standard, you could say approach is early on it's, it's roaming, but then when I'm coaching, it's usually in the cage catchers. And then when I can, I get over the bullpen. I think that's important for coaches to hear because, you know, we, we're all once an assistant, you know, we were a hitting guy or pitching guy or infield guy or whatever. And you just kind of stayed in your lane, but as a head guy, you got to make the lineup. You got to make those decisions. You got to feel like you have eyes on everybody at some point. Not that you don't trust your assistants. You got a great staff. I got a great staff. Other guys would argue they have a great staff, but at the end of the day, it's your name on top of the lineup card. You're making that out. You're making those changes. You got to do it with confidence and you got to trust your eyes a little bit. Um, so thinking about that practice structure, how to pack all that in, give us some like practice planning tips. Cause I think there's a lot of coaches that are in similar situations and they struggle, right? Cause we, as much as we want it to be sunny in 75 or have a big old turf facility with lights or the gym all to ourselves, like how do you maximize every minute? And this might tap into your FIED teacher a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I have a, uh, my, my practice arrangement is, it, it is connected. My background of FIED, it, it's a station arrangement and I'm watching the clock like a hawk the whole time. And Hey, you know, at this point we have to rotate. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll break it down. If I'll go as 13 minutes, we have 13 minutes of this station that the kids have, you know, and I've done it long enough. I kind of know how long. Okay. So if I give the guys when they get in the cage, two bunts and 10 swings, it takes X amount of time. And then we've got five stations set up, eight kids of the hitting chain, all right, so I, I they usually takes about fifteen to twenty minutes. Um, our warm up throw progression that usually takes us almost to the dot. It takes us twenty minutes. So if you're doing the math and we're inside, that leaves us fifty five minutes to get through bullpen, defensive drills, and hitting. Um, so it's really tight. Uh, so usually what I end up doing is between each area, um, hitting defense i give the guys there's about a 20 to 25 minute allotment because like i said the bullpen we're we're pulling kids over there from the different stations and then i'll tell them at the start of practice all right these are the five guys that are going to go throw a bullpen today are going to be with the pitching coach but tomorrow it's going to be the next five and then we you know we we kind of have a, you could say almost like a a pitching rotation when we're inside you know these these five guys are going to work monday Wednesday, Friday, these other guys will work like Tuesday, Thursday, maybe a Saturday if we're doing that. Um, but, you know, I just I, I want to say this the right way. The, the guys that we're uh, we know are going to give us varsity innings, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them and just say, hey, what, what do you what do you feel like you need to do this week? as a pitcher to, to get your arm in shape or how do you feel? Uh, that's something too I've gotten better at as I've gotten older it is asking the opinion of players and how they're feeling and what they think. It doesn't mean I'm going to listen to them, but I, I at least get, you know, I, I factor that into the decisions that I'm making. Um, like if I have a, you know, like I, okay. One, one drill that I really believe in hitting is it's called a velo drill. It's basically where you're, you're creating, velocity off the tee where naturally you want you want your the ball off your front hip you want to be able to hit out in front of your body and just barrel it but in the velo tee the ball long story short the ball is on your back hip so what you're doing is you're simulating the ball getting deep and traveling on your swing plane like you're throwing you're facing a kid throwing gas and it it, it makes you uncomfortable uh but what if you do that for 10 to 15 reps and then you transition to Okay, here it's in the uh, it, it's in that sweet spot right off my front hip. Um, it, it really helps, and I that's something I believe in. So if a kid tells me the first day I don't like this drill, well, that's too bad. You're going to keep doing it because this 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 is productive and it works. Um, so I listen to what they're saying, but it doesn't mean I I I uh, necessarily will just oh yeah sure sure Johnny whatever you want to do today. But more so with the pitchers, just because of of course the 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 arm care is just paramount. And if I have a kid that tells me, you know, coach, my elbow is sore today, then don't throw, just don't throw. Um, you know, do, if you, if you're an ice guy, ice it, um, do band work, whatever you need to do. 
Well, that's something I want to dig in with you on because you've had some high-end players come through, and I know you have some right now. And with just the explosion of travel baseball and all the off-season training, especially on the pitching side, and there might be a kid that comes into your program, like they come into a lot of programs, and they got all these different gadgets, they got all these things going on, and they will come up to you and say, Coach, you know, this is what I've been doing at my academy for three months. You know, like that's th- those aren't easy conversations for a lot of coaches. Now, outside looking into you, it looks like you found a way to make high school baseball still very relevant and important in these kids' lives, but understand that, you know, club baseball serves its purpose too. So how do you, how do you manage that um, as a high school varsity coach? I think this is probably the, the question that most coaches are struggling with in, in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I have an answer, but but it's not, I don't know if it would apply to everybody else. So I, I'm, I'm not offended or, or um, worried about academies. Um, I, I, I feel like I'll be the first to put my hand up and say it's helped our program. Uh, we have 11 different organizations in this area that people can play for. Um, yeah, and that's including Babe Ruth, Legion. We, we've got four academies now that people can choose from. I mean, it's crazy. It, 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 it's never been like this. And I really feel like our program has benefited from that. Um, what I tell kids, if they're, they're hitting instructor in the academy, their pitching guy told them something and they think it works, well, let me see it. I, I want to see what it does. Uh, but at some point, if I feel like, okay, it, maybe, you know, you got to make an adjustment. This isn't working. Um, tell me exactly why you think this works. Um, my, my kids have been pretty good about that. Um, you know, where I, where I, where sometimes I don't want to say conflict, but where there's disagreements is the, the area where it, where it can clash is, uh, in the hitting chain that we do, as I call it. And then during our warmups, um, and, and what I try to tell my players when that happens is like, look, I, I can't just allow you to do whatever you want to do. Like this is what the team is doing. And it usually happens with the upperclassmen, junior seniors. Um, and it's like, Hey man, guys are looking at you and all I'm asking you to do is do this drill. That's going to take you two minutes. Or I just need you to do this, this stretch or this, this sprint that's going to take you 30 seconds. And let's not make this a bigger deal than it needs to be. If, if you need to do that, then I'll let you do it, but you've got to do these things that everybody else are doing. Um, unless, like I'll go back to what I said, unless there's an injury concern, there, there's something going on when they're trying to rehab it, heal it. I mean, that's a different discussion. But, um, yeah, where I usually – where there there is friction at sometimes is um, hitting drills. You know, some, some kid did something for their travel team, and they had a weekend where they went seven for ten. Well, that this works for me. That this is what I need to do, and that that's fine. Uh, but this is these are the things that I'm expecting the program and the team to do. Um, but I, I try to embrace it. I, I don't discourage kids from going to trainers and academies, and because I feel like okay, they, they've got a ball in their hand, a glove, a bat. This is helping helping us. I don't want to say me. It's helping the program. And I, I think I don't know. We've we've had a pretty darn good run here over the last. 10 years or so. And as much as, as much as anything, it's because of kids doing stuff during the summer and, and more opportunities they have and just taking advantage of them. Yeah. I think what's, this is again, a touchy subject for a lot of high school coaches, but I think the approach that you're taking about embracing it and, and maybe looking at, maybe you're learning, you know, Hey, what, what, why are you doing this drill at your Academy? You know, maybe you'll learn something. It's kind of like when that college kid comes back to your program and brings something back with him and says, Hey coach, we do this at my university. You analyze it. Maybe you like it. Maybe you steal it. Maybe you don't, but you're listening. And I think just having those conversations goes a long way. Um, you know, another piece too, on the travel ball is it, it's, it's the summer piece, but also that winter training, and, you know, we have such limited time with our kids. You know, I mean, now Pitchers and Catchers Week obviously was an addition a few years ago that we've embraced. But to not be able to coach your kids in the middle of March, knowing that they need to start way before that, I think that's where the academy comes in and has a huge, huge help for the players. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's for the players. So um, any thoughts on just 
how that calendar works inside, um, you know, a player's individual schedule? Yeah, we have. I also think in that equation, and you, you've got kids playing other sports in school, uh, whatever it is, football, basketball, hockey, wrestling. And so those multi-sport athletes that I have, there aren't many of them just because of time. And, the, and there's always the diehards that are always going to try to get a bat in their hand and find a tee. But, um, you know, the, the kids that are playing other sports, their ability to to train baseball specific skills, it's pretty limited. And I, I, I don't have a problem with that because I feel like that when they're competing, they're becoming better baseball players too. Um, specific to baseball, it's a fine line. What I found over the years, I, I think back to, well, this is before the pandemic. So it's 2018, 2019. I had, um, two pitchers, one guy in particular, I remember who was going to a, a pitching coach in the area and he was throwing way too much. It, it was, it was, his bullpens were too long, too frequent. And I got along with the kid really well. I still do. I, I stay in touch with him after graduation, but um, our season started and he just, he, he struggled. It was, it was a rough goal. Uh, he just had thrown too much. Um, I think he got in some bad habits uh, his arm was tired, his mechanics. I, I just think it, it, it got goofy. Um, so what do you do there? I don't know what you can do uh, because the kid's paying money to go to this instructor and he wants to do it. So he did it. Um, but I think by and large, it, it does help. Like I said earlier, I think the vast majority of, of instructors at these academies are well-intended Um and they, you know they don't they don't want a bad rap on their name either. I mean they don't want some kid to go to their their facility and get wrecked and then go back to you because then that hurts their marketing and and people coming back to them. It's kind of a rambling answer. I hope that made sense. No, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, I, and it's about what's serving the kid. And like you said, you know, the last you mentioned the last ten years, you guys have better run a success and especially the last two, you talk about, you know, back-to-back state tournaments, 2022 state champs. So let's kind of bring it into that season. I know this is, we're recording this on January 3rd of 23, but if you think about that state tournament run of last year, like what things come to mind? What was so special about that 2022 team? We, we could just mash. Um, our hitting was, was, it was crazy how we could hit. We, had, we set all kinds of hitting records that I don't, I don't know when they'll be touched. Um, we, I, I was asked, do you think that was the best team the program's ever had? Our program started back in 1947. Um, I don't know if it was the best team, but it was definitely the best hitting team. Um, well, our, our pattern last year would be, and, and let me back up. Our, our pitching was really good too. We, we, we just had a lot of talent last year and we, we still do in the program. Uh, but there, there are times that the starting pitcher, and this is definitely true in the playoffs, the starting pitcher would would contain us, and it would be, you know, we'd we we'd be in a, a one run game going into the fourth fifth inning, and then that kid would hit his pitch limit, and then the reliever would come in, and we'd just blast them, and it, it wasn't. I, I don't even necessarily want to say what's well. It's because you know small school stuff dropped off and we, we saw some guys I thought that were, were, were good. They, they could, you know, throw strikes and had some stuff, but it was just this mentality we had that once we got into the bullpen of the opposition, uh, we were going to light them up. And we, we usually did. Um, I, I think the, the worst hitter I had in the lineup last year, he finished the season hitting 317. That was our worst hitter. Um, I had a guy finish at 500, just over 500. Um, and just extra base hits, home runs, doubles. Uh, you know, that's what I heard at the state tournament. Um, and what my observations too, of course, people are going to say, well, yeah, Nice, you're biased at your team. Yeah, I, I know. But, you know, I watched I watched games when I was at the state tournament, and th- there just weren't a lot of teams and, and kids that could drive a ball and barrel it and hit it like we could last year. Um, and that that was the thing I'll always, I'll always remember from our state championship team is just so we could hit. Uh, we could just score runs fast. Well, I think, again, someone could easily say, well, yeah, you know, you're 
regular season, you're beating up on some number five and putting up a 20 yeah. spot. But again, when you prove it in the playoffs, when people are throwing their ones and twos, and then you advance to sectionals and state and you're seeing dude after dude on the mound, there's a lot there. And that's what I want to dig in on. You kept mentioning the hitting chains. This seems like the perfect time to talk about it. Like, how are you guys training that to build an offense that is that productive that just mashes? Well, I, I'm create a lot of repetitions, varied repetitions, and try to minimize the monotony for the kids. Um, you know, we usually have, uh, again, dependent on time, like I said earlier, but we usually have anywhere from five to six hitting stations, including hitting live in the cage. Um, you know, this is going to sound like a contradiction in some ways, but despite how good we were hitting, and we've been uh, offensively, we usually, usually are a pretty good team. Um, I do emphasize bunting um, every day, and the, and I know some of the kids don't like it because um, they don't want to bunt. You know, it's a stupid. I want to hit. Yeah, I, I know, but um, I it bunting is a weapon, and that's a stage, and it, it, that's a a, a um, station in some way that we have set up every day. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in tees, uh, varying tee drills, uh, jam tee, away tee, velo tee, high tee. Um, I have something called a Jedi T where, uh, they have to close their eyes and, or if they, I think they're cheating. We, uh, I'll, I'll, I've got like an old hoodie that I'll just put over their head. And so I don't think they're cheating and, uh, they have to hit the ball off the tee without being able to see it. Um, uh, soft toss, um, you, when we're stuck inside, you know, how do you generate, uh, breaking balls on, uh, stationary, area with a ball while there's something we do called the, the bounce toss with a tennis ball, that sensation of the, the ball bounces off the floor. And I've just watched the kids naturally load their front side and stay, stay closed and coiled on the ball in order to hit a breaking ball. Well, that's one of the keys is you can't lose your front side too soon. So we, we do bounce toss um, quite a bit early in the year can't really bounce a tennis ball very well when you get outside in grass, but that, that's one of our staples when we're inside. Um, I also, again, something funky, and some of the kids don't like it because, well, they struggle at it. Um, we, I have a, an old uh, gymnastics balance beam, which is about maybe one or two inches off the ground. It's for beginners gymnasts to learn how to do, um, you know, uh, balance beam skills. And I put a T at the end of that and I have the kids walk and shuffle up on the T and then take a swing, but they, they can't fall off. They have to stay on the T and it just teaches you not to overswing. Um, be aware of your mechanics, your balance, your feet, your legs. Um, back toss is, a, is another one. Um, that, that's something if kids have never done it, you know, they really struggle. And in my opinion, that that's one of the ones I often do. Well, I always do it early in the year. I just want to see who's got some semblance of hand-eye coordination and back toss it, it, to me that, that shows who can, who has some back control and who can manipulate the bat a little bit. Um, so I just think I, I just listed off about five or six of them there. Um, I, I, you know, I've got like all coaches too. I've done a, the ones I've done a while. I've got gadgets that I use. Um, you know, I'll have, um, the, the, the heavy soft toss balls, the ones that have sand in them, you know, we'll use those. Um, I'll have, uh, you know, a heavier ball. I'll put it on the top of a tee that can support it. And you know, for wrist strength, I'll have them put the bat right against the ball and then push it into the cage. Um, and it's just to, to teach them to explode through the ball. Um, yeah, so I've, I've got. I tell the kids, I, I have, when we're inside anyway, I, I have more stations than we have time. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the, the, the velo T too, that that's one that I'm a huge believer in. Well, and to me, as I kind of picture these in a station drill rotation setting, you're, you're making, you're making quality drills out of limited space. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the thing. If you don't have tons of cages and pitching machines and open space. You got to use what you have and be in confined spaces. So you're not standing around, you're getting reps. Now, do you find when you transition outside more, right? I always feel like high school baseball, you know, March, most of April, you're inside. If it's nice, you're playing a game. And by May, you might be able to get some outdoor practices. At least that's been our experience. 
do you change anything within your offensive training outside or anything pregame on that game day? Yeah, uh, I would say the short answer to that is we, we usually don't spend as much time in the cage because now we're outside. Hey, we're on a diamond. We, we can do situational stuff on the bases uh, defensively, ground balls, hitting cuts, fly balls, um, reading balls into the gap. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of hitting on the field because I feel like there's just a lot of wasted time. Um, I, I know you, you have to let them do that sometimes. So the players want to, and they need to, and you know, they want to see when they, when they hammer one, well, where's where it going to go? It, you know, the, we, we all know the cage monsters, the guys that look like number one draft picks in the cage, put them on the field and they can barely hit it out of the infield. Um, so we, we do incorporate hitting on the field, but what, what I often do is we, we have the advantage. Um, we don't, well, we have the disadvantage that we don't have a field on campus. We have to make about a 10 to 15 minute drive to our practice facility, but at our practice facility, we have two fields. So that helps us a lot. Uh, we can have uh, one field being used for, for example, when we are hitting live on the field, we can do that. The other field can be used for defensive drills. Then between the two fields, we have two batting cages and two mounds. So we have a, a really productive, efficient practice facility. Um, but to go back to your the original question, does it change how we approach our, our hitting practice? It does. We don't spend as much time on it. Um, now, when I say that, it doesn't mean like, well, I'm not giving the kids enough reps and uh, no, we're not, you know, oh, we only got five minutes to hit today. I mean, it, it, if we need it, we'll do it. But I mean, I think we all know when you get out in the field, my gosh, I mean, you've got to work on spacing, uh, defensive control, who, you know, the outfielders calling off the infielders on a pop-up fly ball. Like I said earlier, reading the gap, rounding the base, going from first to third. I mean, it's just, you know, you could go on and on. Having catchers throw to bags, not just confined in a gym. Because, um, you know, 120 feet in a gym, it plays different on a diamond. It just does. You, you got wind, elements, dirt, spikes, everything is different. Yeah, I think there's something to be said, too, about, you know, again, you might be able to have a, at times, a better offensive practice in a gym because when you're outside, again, that's standing around, around the cage. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not big league pregame where you crank the music and put the square screens out. It's just not the world we live in. Um, so obviously your 2022 team, you guys could mash. I mean, stats back it up again, just again, if your worst average hitter is 317, you guys are doing something right along the way. Was there a turning point in the season for you guys? Was there something happened that brought you over to the hump or you look back at a certain moment or a certain game that really propelled you guys out of that state championship? Yeah, I wrote this one down. It was, um, April 28th. Uh, we were six and zero overall. We were three and zero in the Western Clover Belt, and we went to play the Bloomer Blackhawks. And Bloomer was a good Division Two team. Uh, they made it to the regional final. I think at the time they were they were five and one, and they had a good team. And uh, we went to their place, and we beat them in five innings. We beat them twenty four to one, and um, we we just we destroyed them. And we played them then uh, a few weeks later on May 13th, and we barely beat them five to four. So it, they, they were a good team. I think on the season they finished, I, I want to say 17 5, 18 and six, something like that. But, you know, I, I was worried going into the game on April 28th because that was our first, we were playing, playing what I felt like was our first good opponent, somebody who could beat us if we weren't ready. And um, I just remember not, not only how we played and hit, but just the, the, the attitude of the kids. Um, they were quiet, focused. There wasn't a whole lot of messing around. Um, I just remember the first, the, our leadoff hitter uh, singled. And then our two hitter came up, lefty, and laid down a perfect bunt on the third base line, and they didn't even have a play on it. And it, then it was first and second, and then, boom, we, we scored – four or five runs in the first inning and it was over. Um, and that, that to me, is like, I remember riding home on, on the bus thinking, you know, we're, I, I think we have a chance to be really, really exceptionally good this year. 
So when you came back there in May, won a tight ball game. Did that, you know, how, did that teach you something different about your team that, hey, they, even if there's a, a crooked number in the scorebooks from a week, couple weeks prior that they can still win a dogfight? Yeah, because we had to hold on to that game. We shot out to a really early uh, – it was 4-1 to lead, and they came back, hit a couple home runs, and um, that was really – that was a stressful game as a coach. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we got into – you know, we, we – beginning of the season, we were farther ahead than our opponents. And we about, nah, it was, it was about around that bloomer game where we beat them 24 to one. I started trying to explain to our kids that, you know, we're, we're now a trophy win for every team that plays us. I mean, this, this is something they're circling on their schedule to be able to knock us off. And it, it's just, it's just going to get harder and harder every game to, to just keep stomping on teams. It's not the way it's going to work. Um, yeah, we, we got into some close games. I, it, I I don't think people see the final score of a playoff run, and I, I think they uh, the, the games of a playoff run, and they think we just destroyed everybody. But you know, we we won five games on our way to a state title. In our last four games, we were losing in each one of those games. Uh, we were trailing, and it was usually later in the game, like after the third, fourth inning, we were losing. And then you know, like I said earlier, that their starter went out. And just pop, pop, pop. We started stringing hits together, uh, but the, those close games definitely helped us. Like that one in, in May, and then our our one loss, um, we got no hit by St. Croix Falls um, by their uh, a junior righty they have, Brandon Olson, I think his name is. He's going to Purdue. Um, it, we we didn't see stuff like that all year, uh, and this is the the best hitting team we've ever had, and we struck out thirteen times, got no hit, and. Um, no, I wasn't upset at all. And and I told the kids and they, they seemed to understand it too, that facing Olsen that day and getting losing and getting no hit. I mean, that, that made us a lot better. Uh, we, we have a, a, a little pocket radar gun or pitching coach does that he has it um, hooked to his phone. So he, he, he gets velocities and, and uh, information during the game. So we, if we can, we set it up on the backstop during the game. So that kid from St. Croix Falls, the first inning, our gun had him at, he was about 86, 88. And then after that, innings two through seven, he was 88, 91. Um, and that's a whole different galaxy of velocity. Um, so seeing that, I mean, that, that made us better. But that was in the, that was in May. That was about two weeks before the playoffs started. That was our one loss of the year. Well, and you talk about the playoff run being down in four games. And then like, you know, what I've noticed over my years of coaching is especially in a playoff game, when you're losing, sometimes kids start having that panic moment. Oh my gosh, is this my last at bat? Is this, you know, it, it, this is it, this is it. You know, it comes a little bit of a desperation mode. sounds like your guys, you know, they found a way to use that to jumpstart them often starts rolling downhill like, is that something that you guys preach? It's something you work on. Is that a senior leadership thing? Like, where does that come from to just look adversity, baseball adversity in the face and say, no, we, we still got this. Yeah. So to be transparent and as I'm talking here, I was actually thinking the playoff round was actually our last five games. We, we were down our last five in the sectional final game. We, we were down to a really good Northland Pines team and, um, I, I again be transparent. There were some there were some high emotions in the dugout. Um, I actually had to go in there at one point, calm down a couple of our players because we we were losing late going into the the fifth inning. When we we had blown a lead earlier, and they're they're a good team. Um, but you know where does that come from? And and having that that feeling that we you know we can't panic. Um, it, it sounds like a cliche, but. I, I kept telling the kids that, you know, it's not over until that last out in a seven inning game. It is not done until that 21st out. And for whatever reason now, you know, we, we were good. I mean, we, again, we, we, we had guys that could just pop the ball, mash up and down, but um, they just believe that. And, you know, once we, we started coming back and, and winning these games um, it, it did, it just, it seemed to just, kind of feed off feed feed of itself just the belief and the mentality um 
And, you know, I, I, I like the, some of that comes from the coaching staff too. I, I, I really try my hardest not, not to, not to get worked up, um, keep my emotions in check and just, just try to help the kids. And that's something I've definitely gotten better at as I've gotten older. Some of my players who had me back in 08, 09, my first couple of years, they'll, they'll laugh if they heard me say that. Um, but in, in, if, if I start to panic, you know, if I, I, like everything, I, I read about leadership and, you know, guiding your players. And, and it really is true that oftentimes the, the teams will take on the personality of their coaches in many ways. And, and that's something I really try to do is not lose, lose my crap during games because I, I just don't see how that helps. And have I done it? Yeah. Um, but what, what I tell my players too, is, you know, when you see the other teams start yelling and panicking and screaming at the umpires, I mean, we, we got them. I mean, we're, we, we've got them we're, we're going to beat them. This is to our advantage. Uh, but it, it, it really did just kind of feed off of itself, the mentality, the belief that, that we're okay. This isn't over until the last at bat. And that was true all the way through Appleton. When we came back and beat Oakfield, we came, came back and beat Bangor. Uh, we were behind in both games. So speaking of Appleton, like going there back to back years, like what lessons did you learn from 21 that you brought with you to 22? Was there anything logistically you guys did differently? I know that setup was a little bit unique in 21 time of year, you know, the COVID year a little bit, but like were the things that you've learned along the way that helped your guys better prepare for that stage at Appleton? Cause it's, it's unlike anything else. Yeah. So a few things come to mind. Uh, first of all, if, if you've ever been on the field itself at Appleton, it, it's gigantic. Um, it's like the Grand Canyon when you walk out there. It, it really is. You don't you don't realize how big it is until you're out there and you if you walk the outfield track. And so that that helped us uh, help the kids understand just the spatially what they were getting into. Uh, we we had a we did a defensive drill. Uh, we call the shadow outfield drill, and it, it just forces kids to 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 be aware of backing one another up in the outfield. So what it is, it, it, it's nothing complicated. I, I have a kid come out from the line. The kid behind him then shadows what what the targeted outfielder does. So if I hit a ball, he's got to run to his glove side 30 yards, go get it. Well, the shadow outfielder behind him, he keeps up with them, but he stays about 10 yards behind the targeted outfielder. So you get two guys involved, but the the backup outfielder is just aware of what's going on. And it, again, it's it's nothing scientific, but it was just a hammer into their skulls that, hey, you, you got to back people up in the outfielder. If it gets past somebody, this is a disaster. So that was kind of a, a strategic thing, a, a drill that we implemented. And we knew going back to, Al to, to Appleton how huge the, the field was. And then also on, on our end, my end as a as a coach, you know, I'll go back to the administrative role, just knowing how to how to proceed through the days, the travel schedule, hotels, when to leave the hotel, um, where to practice, when to get to the practice field, where to eat, uh, who to call, all that stuff. Um, the, the second year, 22 compared to 21, that, that was so much easier for me, because I knew exactly who to call, how to do it, when to do it. Um, yeah, it worked out. It worked out great. I mean, I, and I know that was that was part of that really helped us is just the the logistics last year in 22 were so much um, smoother. It wasn't like they were bad in 21, but they're just smoother in 22. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I mean. You win that sectional, the emotions of winning a sectional, the plaque, the dog pile, the pictures, and then starts like that night, you know, you want to celebrate a little bit, right? You know, you, that's a huge deal. It's like your phone's going off. You got this, you got this, you're booking hotels, you're doing all these things. And all you really want to do is just sit around and, and soak it up for a minute and put your arms around that, that, that plaque and, and think about what just happened. But you can't because if you get sloppy on your hotel reservations, you don't have a hotel. If you don't have your bus or whatever, like you just – you got to stay on task. And I, I love that. And I appreciate you sharing that, you know, just administratively. Um, so what we're starting to see um, at the WBCA level, and I kind of want to transition there. Like, so what is your current role with the association and what big changes are you seeing here in 23 and moving forward? 
Uh, my current role is vice president. I'll be in this role for two years. And then I, I believe if my calendar is right in my head, then in 25, I'll become the president. Um, one thing that I, a big change we're working on, if you want to call that, is is making the, the state tournament a, a four-day event. Um, and just, again, you know, go back to that idea of logistics and administration um, hopefully it's going to run smoother, be better for people, be just be, be a better experience rather than at times what can be a, a slam bam, you know, play, get out of here kind of thing. Um, that's one of the first thing, the first things that comes to mind. Um, you know, we're, I, I don't know, WBCA being involved, the organization, it, it's such a, it's such a cool, uh, group and, and just the, the organization itself is so, centered on improving the baseball experience for, for everybody in Wisconsin, players, coaches, everybody. And it, it's, it's just, um, it's a really enjoyable um, experience and, and process to be part of. And, and uh, you know, I, as far as anything beyond that, any big changes, I mean, I, I can't really think anything too, too much more beyond that. Um, but, you know, we're always working the WIA. Um, and the, their new director, um, Mel Dow is, is, just seems very, very, uh, receptive towards, towards our thoughts and our ideas. So that's been a big, uh, big positive development as well. Yeah. That, that 8 a.m. game at state tournament, you know, the, the 5 a.m. wake up the 545 yeah. BP. I mean, we were fortunate enough to be in that game last year, um, in the quarterfinals in division one, and just the, like the, the planning of that day and. You get done with a game. You just won a game at state. It felt it just felt like you won a non-conference game because you're done by ten thirty. Now, ah. luckily, it was one hundred and ten degrees, so we we dodged ah. a lot of that heat. But at the same time, to see that those changes are being made, uh, big kudos to WI and Mel for you know leaning into the association. And so, thank you for your for your work on that. Um, your success over the years, especially in twenty twenty two, has led you to speak on stage and be a part of a panel this year at the a clinic. So for a coach, maybe who hasn't gone to the state coaches clinic or, um, you know, is, is, isn't that involved with the association quite yet? Like make your pitch for the association. You know, why should someone be a member maybe beyond just a player recognition piece, but like what do coaches get out of being a members of our state association? Well, it's the support system you, you have access to the fraternity you have access to with, with in particular, the, the experienced coaches, I, I guess one of the regrets I have in my coaching career is I didn't take advantage of it more when I was younger. Um, part of that was, well, my, my kids were little and now they're adults, but um, I, I would strongly recommend that, that coaches, especially beginning coaches get involved with the association because yet you, you have access to just so many, um, so many avenues to make yourself a better coach, whether it's, you you can go to clinics. Um, you are encouraged or directed to find instructional materials, um, but even more so, just the the networking you can do. And I don't mean that while well, you advance your career through networking, but just what you can learn through talking to people, experienced coaches, and and guys that have been doing it for a while. Um, and the clinics are awesome. Um, just the, if you really go there with the, the intent of making yourself better, you will get better. If you go there, take notes, pay attention, listen, try to absorb things, apply it to your program. I mean, you're going to be a better coach. Your team's going to be better. Your program's going to be better. And um, I, I just, again, I, I just consider myself really fortunate to be a part of the organization and now on the on the board. Um, but you know, at times, I, to be really blunt, there some of the criticisms we hear. Well, it's a good old boy network. You just kind of watch out for yourself, and and no, we, that that's not it. Um, you have to be part of the association if you um, player, want your players to get recognized. Um, and it, it's a nominal fee. I mean, the, the membership fee is just – it's pennies on the dollar for what you get, in my opinion. Well, what I've always appreciated about the association, too, is, you know, you look at, you know, Rob Hamilton, who was coaching at Sun Prairie, who's got 2,400 kids in his school – you know, obviously recently retired. Now you have two high schools, but then you have a, a coach who's got on the board, who's got 188 kids in their school. And so and you got public and private, North, South, East, West, you have representation from the entire state. 
And I think that speaks volumes because you can, people can get caught in their silos and they, they, you know, they start creating a narrative about the association, which, which is unfortunate. Um, so appreciate all the work that you do. Cause talk about time committed to baseball in Wisconsin. Um, we really appreciate the time that you put in, but also you're the lead off speaker. You want to lead off speakers of our, our, our uh, clinic here in a month or so. And, uh, three, three to three forty. You're one of three state championship coaches on that panel keys to win a championship. Give us a little bit of a preview of what you're going to talk about. Is it more of a Q and a, or do you have a, a kind of a, a 10 minute segment that you're going to present? Yeah, I've got a 10, 10 plus minute segment present. And I talked some of the things I discussed earlier, some of our drills and our hitting chain and their philosophy. Those are the things I'm going to talk about. You know, there isn't one, one thing that makes you a state championship program or makes you a highly competitive, successful program. There's so many things that go into it. Um, you know, I, I'll talk about hitting drills. Um, I'm going to talk about that, that simplistic shadow outfield drill. I just mentioned that that really did help us, um, at, and when we got to Appleton, um, you know, I'll talk about our, our mentality, the, the saying that I tell the kids all the time is, you know, we, we respect everyone, but fear no one. And that, that's just the competitor's mentality that I always hammer into them. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, if we're facing a kid that throws 50 or a kid that throws 90, it, it's gotta be the same respect, but you're not afraid of anyone. Um, you know, also, you know, I haven't talked a whole lot about pitching. We, we have a, a really good pitching coach, uh, Jeff Dykes is his name and, and he's done a lot of, um, um, training and research involved with, uh, Tom house. I don't know if you've ever heard of Tom house, but he's actually met Tom house, hung out with him a few times and. And Jeff has has been a big part of our success in in just making us better. I mean, I, I've got what I would call a you know functional knowledge of pitching, but just what he's instilled in the kids, just the preparation, just the physical and mental preparation to to get ready prior to a game to pitch. Um, there's a few other hitting drills that I, I haven't mentioned yet that I'll that I'll elaborate on and show up there. Uh, but just there's kind of a you could say like a, a checklist of about eight to ten things I'm going to talk about going from mentality to hitting defense pitching um, with all, all that said, of course, too. I mean, you, you know, you got to have talent. I mean, we've got we've got a kid who's committed to um, Texas to, to pitch. Uh, we, we've got another kid who's going to the University of Minnesota to play football as a linebacker um, just from this graduating class. I'll have five kids. Um, go on to play college baseball, and there's two more that I have that could, but they're playing football instead. Well, and we appreciate you, you know, giving us a little preview into that. Like I said, that's three o'clock. That's the first session on that Friday. So get up there, get the sessions, check in later, get something to eat later. Come, come <laughs> see, come see these coaches. Last thing I want to ask you, and this is, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to shut the mic off and just and just let it roll. But you mentioned, you know, if it's Pitching coach is a Tom House guy. You know, you love getting your, your feet wet on some leadership books and, you know, attending the state association. The ABCA is a couple of days away from now. Like, how do you get your professional development? Like, where do you go to keep learning that, that, that lifelong learner? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, well, I think so much of that is, is um, I, the word intrinsic comes to mind. Um, but you also have to be motivated and, and, um, be pushed in some way. And I, I, what, what motivates me and it keeps me going is just, there's, there's people around you that are better than you. There's programs that are better than you. There's, there's players and coaches and, and that are better than you that are trying to develop their program and beat you and, that's kind of at a fundamental level, what, what always is one of my motivating factors. And also, you know, I, I don't feel as if it's fair to the kids for me just to keep doing the same stuff I did in 2008. Um, I I'm, I'm always looking for new, new info. Um, like for example, you know, I'm, I'm 48 and I was wanting to try to get my master's. And this past fall, I decided to get my master's in Fayette through Northern Iowa um, because you just think it's going to make me a better teacher, better coach, just a better professional. And, you know, it, that, that process works. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I would try to 
emphasize to younger coaches is, is never stop trying to make yourself better. There's always a book. There's always a clinic. There's always a, um, some type of website that there's always an email that you can look for that's going to make yourself better. Um, I get emails from uh, an entity, a platform called Coaches Insider. I, I think most people are aware of that. And they're just these little two, three minute shots of drills and instructions for for baseball. And they're awesome. Uh, I mean, I'll watch them. I got a notebook I keep on my kitchen table at home that I just jot stuff down when I watch these and I, I use them and implement them in the, in the practices and drills. Um, but, you know, part, but uh, I'll use the word intrinsic again at a certain point too, like you, you have to want to do it. Like you can't, you can't expect your administrator, um, your assistant coaches um, to just keep pushing you to, to, to make yourself better at, at a certain point. Like you've got to have enough self-awareness to understand that nobody knows everything. Um, but there's people that know more than you and, and you have to just always continue to try to make yourself better and improve because, um, in doing that, you're going to make your program better, your players better, um, you make yourself better. And it just, again, it's all connected. It's, it's just a continuous process and never stops. And there it is. Huge. Thank you goes out to coach niece for jumping out with us today. Uh, really happy to hear. Um, his story and his journey I just love hearing the consistent theme of uh, tradition at, at Regis Baseball you know him being an alumni again it's one thing you hear over and over on this show is guys that you know came back to their hometown back to where they went to high school but taken over the program done a fantastic job so um, again congrats again going to the Appleton back-to-back years hoisting that ball here in 2022 um, for your alma mater is something something very special so um, and as you heard a lot of changes happen on the WBCA level you know in accordance with the WIAA and as Andy rises the ranks and is more and more in those uh, part of those decisions just very grateful there's men like him in those rooms to represent us all across the state of Wisconsin again division one two three four public private urban small town rural suburban just you know baseball across our state is just in such a phenomenal spot so all right that's our first episode all right so tune back in next time and uh we'll see you then thank you